Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Forty-one questions for the Mukminoon. Have you ever cried as of sins you have committed? Inshallah. Did Shaitan ever make you feel like the past can't be repented? Yes. Do you really love Allah, or just words that you utter? Do you feel like your innocence has been drained by the gutter? Yes. Can you love sooner and still love to backbite? No. How many days you woke up Muslim and Kafir by night? Allahu Akbar. If you was on trial for being Mukmin, would they have enough evidence to convict you? If you die right now, how long would it take for the Ummah to forget you? Allahu Akbar. Can you answer the questions in the grave, or do you have to study for that test? Allah, I hope so. And what will be the words you utter at the moment of your last breath? What are you prepared to sacrifice for the sunnah? Did you ever take part in spreading the vicious rumor? If so, how far did it go? How many people really know? On the day of judgment, how many mukmans you going to host? Why are you the last to Juma and the first to leave? Is that an indication of how much you really believe? Why do you say things out of your mouth that's not in your heart? Don't you know mukmans live in the light and kufars live in the dark? How can a month go by and you miss every salat? Where is your desire? Boldness you show for the fire. Muslims and Muslims, fill the north from a hopeful dreamer. It's either heaven or hell. Mock B or the dot gel. Allah or Shaitan. Fly girl novels or ayahs of the Holy Quran. Standing on street corners at the end of the block Or at the masjid making salat You can either listen or turn your head Cause this earth is a paradise for the grateful dead A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem Bismillahir rahmanir rahim Inna lil muttaqina mafaza Hadaika wa a'naba وكوائب أترابا وكأسا دحاقا لا يسمعون فيها لغوا ولا كذابا جزاء من ربك عطاء حسابا رب السماوات والأرض وما بينهما الرحمن لا يملكون منه قطابا السلام عليكم Brother you heard the Dean over Dunya show? Dean over Dunya, that sounds familiar, wait hold on let me think Dean over Dunya, Dean over Dunya, Dean over Dunya show. Y'all heard about that joint? My man hosts that joint. Safe or hot? MashaAllah, MashaAllah. So you like the joint? I love it. What's your name? Noah. And what they listening to? 
Dean over Dunya. That's what they come. Michael Sinead. Dean over Dunya. 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 Dean you're listening to the Dean of Dunya show, number one Islamic radio show in America, alhamdulillah. Before we begin, like always, we want to give praise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and send salawat upon his nabi, the Prophet Muhammad ibn Abdullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And alhamdulillah, that's the inahu, but that's the fiddahu. Wa na'udhu billahi min shubhubi nfusana, wa min sari ali malina, maya bihi lahu fala mudilala, wa min yukla fala hadiyala. وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ إِلَهَ اللَّهِ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ Before I begin, I'd like to say all praise belongs to Allah. We seek His aid, we seek His guidance, we seek His help. We seek refuge in Allah from Shaitan and His minions, and we seek refuge in Allah from the footprints of Shaitan. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us for our sins, our faults, and our errors. And whoever Allah guides, not can lead astray. And whoever Allah leads astray, not can guide. And I bear witness without any hesitation, any compulsion, that there's no God but Allah. Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah. Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. And I bear witness that the Prophet Muhammad ibn Abdullah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, is his last prophet and messenger. Am I back? Dear brothers and sisters, tonight's show is the new Shahada class, one of the uh, the continuation of the series that we have for us, the new Shahada classes, inshallah. New Shahada class 2.0. Um, we always revert back to the, the basics when it comes to Islam. This is why we have the new Shahada class. Even Muslims that have been Muslim for 10, 20 years is, is not a a, a a terrible thing to, you know, review what you already know, you know, some of the things that you forgot, some of the things that, you know, you need to be reminded of. A lot of the is a reminder believer because the reminder will benefit those who believe, but the ones who are monastics, they will not receive the message. MashaAllah. So tonight we will have the new Shahada class. Um, we will talk about the basic fundamentals of Islam that people, you know, I mean, basically ignored, forgot about, just to do uh, a review. For a lot of you, this is a new Shahada class, meaning that you will you know, learn these things for the first time, inshallah. Uh, my co-host tonight. He will be he will be speaking. Um, different sciences of the dean, inshallah. This is a two-hour show, uh, inshallah. So we have time, inshallah, to go over uh, uh, the topic and the different things that we're going to bring up, inshallah. The first thing I want to begin with is that in this day and age, in 2016, One of the problems that we have in our community is that far too many Muslims are debating issues 
that they're not qualified to speak about. And we don't find this this ignorant behavior in no other walk of life. Like, for example, I never desired to go into a hospital and start disputing with doctors over how to perform surgeries or how to perform a diagnosis of a um, diagnosis of a, pro- a patient or how to perform an examine of a patient. I've never done that because I'm not an expert in, 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 in the science of medicine. Even if I read a book, I'm still not going to do that because, number one, that's dealing with people's lives. If I memorize the medical journal and on all of the, the, the ways of how uh, doctors perform uh, uh, procedures, a person would be a fool to come to me and allow me to operate on them or allow me to prescribe medicine for them because I have no no one checking my knowledge. So therefore, we have listened to many galactic topics without no trainings, without no form of reference to, to check their work. You have laymen asking other laymen for proof. And the reality is that neither one of them know what Dalil is. They don't know what proof is. I heard a, a person say, well, go listen to this particular lecture on YouTube, and then you will find the Dalil in that lecture. This is what we result to. Spend far too much time debating Islam instead of practicing Islam. And most of these things are fundamental that it shouldn't even be a discussion. Honestly. But we live in a time where, you know, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of people that, you know, they want to be scholars. They want to be sheikhs. Instead of us knowing our lane, knowing what lane we're in, knowing our position, and having taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because it's part of taqwa is to say, I don't know. That's also a part of taqwa because you have knowledge the fact that you don't know and you stand within your lane. But far too often you have people debating topics and and, and physicians of the dean that they have no idea what they're talking about. None. This religion has been surviving and conquering the earth and building empires for the last millennium without our two cents. Before we was even born, Islam has been conquering empires. Before we was even born. But for somehow, or some reason, we feel as though that what we have to say and what we have to offer to the deen is important, of some significance. We believe that the fact that we wear kufis and thobe and izars and we wear all black overgarments and niqab and our gloves, that we are doing something for the deen. We really we really believe this. When the, the majority of Muslims are chasing Muslims from the deen because the, the, the ignorance is high, completely high. We have no tolerance, no patience. We don't even have the, the, the time to let a person grow. Like, I've been Muslim for 20 years. 
When I was the new Shahada, compared to who I am now, I was the idiot. Why? Because I had to grow. I had to learn how to be tolerant of others. I had to learn to realize that I don't know anything that I thought I knew. That takes time. I can't expect the new Shahada to be at the understanding that I am when it comes to Islam. It's impossible. Because some of these experiences, it takes time. You have to grow. You have to learn your lesson. So we have now we have a bunch of new shahadas running around that have who believe that they have a lot to prove, and they're causing tremendous fitness because the teachers, whoever teaching them, is, is letting them teach these things unchecked. Muslim walking to the masjid. You have Muslims walking over to the brother or to the sister, telling them what they should be doing, what they not should be, what they shouldn't be doing. That is not your job. That's not your position to do that. But for some reason, we feel as though this is our job. This is our position to correct people, to 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 ostracize people who are not down where we're down. They're not part of our clique. So we, the reality to it is. No matter how righteous we think we are, no matter what type of uh, uh, righteous path that we think we're on, and no matter what we think about our mass shit, we have all of this right. No matter any of that, that does not stop the brothers and your mass shit from being criminals. That does not stop the sisters and your master for having faults beyond recognition. That does not stop you for slandering and backbiting Muslims without no fear of a loss of penalty either. So no matter what we doing, no matter what we are trying to accomplish in this thing, we still have the same nigger mentality. We haven't produced anything, nothing. We haven't become better Muslims than we were five years ago. So whatever it is that we're doing, no matter what hot we're on, we're still the same nigga that we was five years ago. So it's not working. They haven't produced anything. Islam is about a religion of producing people, great people that produce great civilization, that produce great empires, that change the face of the world. That's what Islam is. And if we don't recognize that, then we're going to be stuck in the same uh, static, the same, you know, fork in the road that we've been on for the last five, ten years. We stagnant. We can't get anything done. Yet we have the hot. We have the Sunnah. The nation of Islam, who was stone cold Kafirs, produced more with the ignorance that they have than the knowledge that we have. We haven't produced anything. Because we can't even get along. We can't even come together against the enemy of Islam. I guess our enemies is killing us. We can't even do that. Despite the fact that we have enemies that do not like Muslims, that are out there pulling off the keymars of sisters, we can't even come together to unify to get to get that rectified. Because this brother don't like that brother because they go to different masters. That sister don't like that sister because they have on different colors. Well, 
neither one of them are, is above the, the other because they both committing sins. They both doing heinous crimes. They both are criminals. And at the same, and at the end of the day, they both in the same boat. This is what we have to recognize. This is why we have the new Shahada classes because we have to think Islam differently from a different perspective. Why? Why haven't we progressed as Muslims? Why don't we know Arabic language? Why? Why don't we sit with scholars and learn the deen from a traditional point of view? Why is most of our Islam is all about hatred and shunning people and not speaking to people? That's not the religion that the Messenger of Allah brought. And that's not the religion that Allah intended when he says that he perfected this deen. This is what the new Shahada class 2.0 is about. This is what it's about. This is why we have the new Shahada class. This is why we call it 2.0. Because we're going to speak about the deen in the very essence of it. So perhaps you can change. Because if you made all five of your prayers and you still haven't changed your heart, that something is wrong with the way you're making your prayer. Something is wrong in the way you're making your prayer because your prayer is supposed to change you. What's the point of praying if you're still a sinner? You're still committing the zinat. You're still committing the haram. You're still robbing. You're still selling drugs. You're still smoking weed. What's the point of praying if you're going to do all of that? Because prayer is supposed to change all of that. So obviously something deficient in your prayer. So tonight, inshallah, we want to speak about Islam from a very basic point of view, but from a deeper point of view, from a deeper point of view. There's going to be books tonight that we always recommend that new shahadists and Muslims get in order to, you know, read and get a better understanding of this thing. Because these, these books are, are critical to uh, the, the growth of Islam for the, the community in Philadelphia and abroad, inshallah. When you first became a Muslim, when you said, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, you said, Ashadu wa la ilaha illallah, Ashadu inna Muhammad Rasulullah. That was a commitment. That was an oath that you took with Allah. If you read hadith, that when the Sahaba took became Muslim, right, when they entered the fold of Islam, they entered a covenant with uh, promises to the Messenger of Allah, so that's them. They would say, we, 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 we vow not to steal, and we vow not to rob. You know, we vow not to hurt people, and we vow to try to keep the covenant to the best of our ability. They was dead serious about when they became a Muslim. When you became a Muslim, why did you become a Muslim? I mean, that's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Did you become a Muslim because your baby father was a Muslim? Your baby mother was a Muslim? You was in jail? Why did you become Muslim? Because everybody in your neighborhood became Muslim? Because the reality to it is why you became Muslim, that's going to affect your deen. 
Because if you became a Muslim because you submitted to an argument that someone provided, you know, a, a, a remarkable uh, argument that Islam is the truth and you just submitted to the truth, that's different from a person who's, who became a Muslim because Iman entered their heart. And now they fully believe it with every ounce of their soul and every fiber of their being. If Iman has to enter your heart yet, you need to figure out why. Why don't you truly believe in what you say you believe in? What's the problem? What is holding you back? You have to get to the to, to, to the deeper issue of that. Because that's the reason why you're not practicing Islam in its totality and, 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 and become a better Muslim. Because you don't truly believe in everything in it wholeheartedly. Because if you truly believed in the religion of Islam, you wouldn't fornicate. You wouldn't smoke weed. You wouldn't pop pills. You wouldn't backbite. You wouldn't slander. Because the, the believer don't have none of those those attributes. The believer is the person who will humble in their prayer, who will avoid vain talk, who are active in deeds of charity, who guard their modesty. Those are attributes of the believer. This is what we have to ask ourselves. There's a deeper problem there that you have to realize and recognize that. The reason why you're stagnant and you're not becoming a better Muslim. You have to be the Muslim that your own parents here changing you because they raised you from birth and they raised you from an infant so they know you better than you know yourself. So while you calling your parents kufar, they haven't seen any change in you. You haven't convinced them to become a Muslim because you have it convinced yourself that this is the truth. Because if you believe that Islam was the truth, then you would tell your co-workers and tell your boss about it. You would tell people on the subway on a home coming home from work about it. You would tell people on the bus about it. You would tell as many people as you can, as often as you can about it. But you don't do that. You work in nine to five. Your boss don't know you're Muslim. Your co-workers don't know you. You haven't told them anything about your way of life that you claim you believe you believe in wholeheartedly. You don't tell your family members about this wonderful deen. You don't tell them about the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. Why? What is holding you back? How do you live amongst your family for all these years and don't tell them about the Prophet Muhammad? Don't tell them about the loss of penalty. Don't read any ayahs of the Quran to them. What is the problem? This is a question that we want to ask ourselves, inshallah, try to come up with answers to, because they're critical questions. But we will go to Iman Hanif on the line, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah. I didn't uh, call with the intention to uh, have a situation where you know, I'm just, uh, you know, we're doing any type of, you know, lecture or anything like that. What I was hoping was, you know, we can kind of like do more of a discussion. And also that, you know, we have uh, participate, uh, you know, people participating, you know, believers, Muslim or, or not, you know, whichever, whomever uh, calls up, you know, so that way it could be more of like a lively type of, uh, you know, event. Uh, but, you know, I will say a few things, inshallah. Uh, that I was just uh, thinking about because, 
when uh one thing that you know anyone who's new to Islam should should know, and even those of us who uh, have been Muslim for a while, they've taken shahada a long time ago. We it's always important to remember the significance of the shahada, uh, what it actually uh, does for the uh, for the believer, the one who who does it. <clears throat> the first thing we know about the shahada is that it is the uh, the testimony of faith. It's when a person comes to the realization of the truth. Okay, in terms of who is the one that's worthy of worship, Allah. And who is the one that we follow is Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So it's just bearing witness to it, so that the world hears it and the world knows. So that's the first thing that I think is uh, important, and it kind of ties into what you, uh, Shaykh Bahak, was saying. Islam is open; it's it's an open thing, and that it's and it's encouraged for us to be open. We're encouraged to be open about it. People know that we're Muslim. It isn't something we hide, unless it's a situation where we're under duress or you know, life is threatened, right? that that type of thing. But what's so great about the Shahada is that the one who takes it, everything that happened before this, every sin they committed, no matter how small or how great the sin is, is wiped away. It doesn't matter if you killed 50,000 people. It doesn't matter if you committed uh, fornication 50,000 times. It doesn't matter if you stole $50,000. It doesn't matter when a person defies that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger, that all of that is wiped clean. So essentially, and it is our belief, that if a person was to take the shahada, leave the place where they want to take the shahada with the intention of living as a Muslim, they were to leave and they were to depart this world, die for some reason, that their reward is Jannah, paradise. Because you're talking about a person who's essentially sinless at that moment. This is this is what we believe. So this is very significant. And it's very and it's very um, much a way in which our perspective should be shaped, because oftentimes we look at paradise as something that we have to earn. You know, oftentimes we think I got to do all these good deeds, I got to make all these prayers, I gotta, um, you know, give all this honor and respect to my parents, I gotta learn all this. And all these types of things in order to earn paradise. When if you really look at it in reality, paradise is something that for the Muslim, you doesn't necessarily have to earn it, but it's something that we have to, the only thing we could do is lose. Because when a person takes the shahada, he's given paradise at that moment. He's given it. The only thing he could do at that point is either, uh, earn himself a greater place in paradise or just pretty much lose it as a result of doing nothing or going down the path of sin and constant sin. This is the only thing he could do. Um, and that's very important. The second thing 
that we should always bear in mind and always remember is that earning paradise, earning the pleasure of Allah, earning all of those things that come with that success is not something that we earn simply because of our deeds. It really does not work that way. The reality of it all, at the end of the day, the reality of this whole business, of this whole issue, of this whole matter, is that it is completely about the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah most high, highly glorified is he. It is ultimately about his mercy and his giving. It's ultimately about his mercy and his giving. And to illustrate this point, our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave the example of a believer who had lived before the time of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and probably before the time of Jesus, Isa Alayhi Salam. He was a worshiper who was from the community of Musa Alayhi Salam of Bani Israel, possibly Musa, possibly Daud, but from the tradition of Bani Israel, they were pretty much the believers on the planet. And he was a man who Allah had given extended life. So much so that this man lived at least 500 years on on, on the planet. Okay, and this was something that... You know, you I wouldn't say it was necessarily common, but he wasn't the only one like this. There were others. You know, even in the Bible, we hear Methuselah, who lived to be over uh, a thousand years old. We had Moses, and we had Nuh, Prophet Nuh, who Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that He gave him Alpha Sanatan ila Khamsina Amma, that he lived for nine hundred and fifty years. In Arabic, he said a thousand minus fifty. So. This man lived about, he, we know he lived at least 500 years because the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he described this man as being someone who at least 500 years of worship to his credit, meaning he fasted during the day, prayed during the night, prayed during the day, would read the, the holy book. He kept the scripture in his heart. He constantly prayed. Constantly fasted, constantly did good deeds, all of these different things. To, to to his credit, we're talking about 500 years. Most of us are proud of ourselves if we have one good day where we fasted and, and worshipped. A good week is like, all right, we're all that. If we were to just be good Muslims for a month, we just know we go to paradise. This is our mentality. We're talking about imagine someone who was engaged in strenuous high-level, contemplative worship for 500 years. The Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu described it as, you know, impressive worship, okay? He described the situation of this man, what will happen to him, Yom Al-Qiyamah. This man will come to be judged, and his turn will come up. And Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala will give him the option. He said, would you wish to be judged based on your deeds, what you've done, your amal, 
or would you wish to be judged or would you wish to be, uh, you know, dealt with in accordance with my mercy? This is Allah Ta'ala saying, you know, his mercy. And the man, he said that he chose, uh, well, but first let me, let me, let me do the story properly. Actually, Allah Ta'ala decided to admit him into paradise out of his mercy. He said, you you basically said, you, you learned, you be entered into paradise based on my mercy. So the man said to Allah, he said, so Allah, but no, I, I wanted, what about my worship? 500 years of worship and so on. So Allah Ta'ala then asked him, would you like to be, like, would you like to see if you earn it based off of the worship? So he said, yes. And then this is when Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala ordered the angels, you know, cast his man into the fire. So then all man he goes on, you know, what is this? Why? So then Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala, okay. He explained to him. And what Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala, they say, okay, if we want to judge you based off of your, uh, your, your, your worship, this is how we're going to do it. We bring the Mizan. The mizan is the big scale. This is the this is the way things are weighed. All right. So you have on the mizan, you have on one side good deeds, you have on the other side bad deeds. So what happens is with the deeds, what Allah Taala did was He brought all of His amal, all of His deeds, and put on one side of the scale. And then what Allah Taala did, He said, "I'm going to weigh this, since it's not going to be about my mercy. I'm going to weigh your deeds, since it's all alone." Versus my ni'mah that I gave you of eyesight. Just eyesight. We're not even going to talk about the ability to speak, your ability to think. We're not going to talk about your ability to feel, your ability to, to worship, any of these things. Just your eyesight. We put it in the other scale. And what happened was is that the, the, the blessing, the gift of the eyesight from Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala, the mercy that comes just from the eyesight, completely outweighed the man's deeds. And because of that, the man earns hellfire. If, if, if what he wants to be judged based on is his deeds. So the man said, oh, Allah, okay, I take it back. I'd rather be, I'd rather be uh, judged based on your mercy or I'd rather be dealt with based on your mercy. And then this man, Allah Ta'ala, enters them into paradise. And this shows... Uh, one of the essential realities of how Islam views the way of salvation. It's not the good deeds and the bad deeds. We don't we don't go to paradise because we did good deeds. And we don't necessarily go to hellfire because of the bad deeds alone. So bad deeds can't get you there. Ultimately, at the end of the day, this matter is about Allah Ta'ala's mercy. And this is very important, you see, because when we're t- discussing these things with non-Muslims, especially Christians, in Christian theology, sometimes most Christians you run into will be ignorant of these things. But there will be a time when there may come a time when you run into a knowledgeable Christian who may have went to theological studies, seminary, or you may have did good biblical studies with a theologian, they'll try to trick you up. They'll say that you Muslims believe that works is what gets you into heaven. And it's very important that you understand that that is not the belief of the Muslims that works gets you 
into heaven. And we know this for, for a, a number of reasons. We just illustrated the one hadith. But also it's very important when, when you're having this discussion, when you're doing da'wah to the non-Muslims, that you make this clear. That our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, none of you went into Jannah. None of, us, none of you went into Jannah except for the mercy of Allah. And he said, one of the companions said to the Prophet sallallahu not even you were messenger of Allah. He said, no, he said, no, not even me, except that Allah Ta'ala will encompass me with his mercy. It's very important that we understand that. Uh, because, you see, in Christianity, this is their, this is their ideology. The ideology pretty much is this. I mean, there's different uh, denominations among them, but when we talk about the major Christians we'll deal with, most of us are going to deal with Protestants, right, whether they're evangelical or Methodist or Baptist or, or Lutheran or whatever. The majority of the Christians we will come in contact with are um, Protestant Christians, right? Protestant Christianity teaches that human beings are imperfect. That God is perfect. And, of course, we know that their aqidah deals with uh, a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost type of model, which we completely reject. But even beyond that, what they're going to say is that God is perfect and that heaven is perfect. And all of the, in this whole state, this whole realm, which we call the malik, the mulk, I mean, excuse me, the malakut, is a state of perfection. And this world that we're in, which deals with the people and and, and and everything in the world and everything that relates to this, this planet, is imperfect. So what they're saying is there has to be some sort of divine transcendence between the perfect realm of God and angels and heaven and so on and the imperfect world that we're in. You say there has to be a divine transcendence. And that divine transcendence has to requires a sacrifice on the part of the one that's perfect towards the world that's imperfect. This is Christian theology is what they teach in their seminaries. So they will say that the only way this can happen is if the one who's perfect, God, would somehow sacrifice, make a sacrifice on his part in order to uh, divine, in order to perform this divine transcendence. So that's their ideology. That's their theology. Now, the way we counter this argument is very simple. Is you ask the Christian simply, why must God, why must God sacrifice himself in order for there to be divine transcendence? Why? And they will say, because this is the only way that man who is imperfect, who they say is born in sin, who they say pretty much has to sin, they say will commit sin, can be forgiven for his sin. That forgiveness isn't just forgiveness has to be something that's done 
based on the sacrifice. And the arguments they will bring will will be uh they'll bring arguments from early biblical days. Like for example, with the time of the sons of Adam, uh Cain and Abel, where Abel had a sacrificed a lamb in order to uh make you know, give an offering to God. Like these are the type of offerings they did. Uh same thing with Abraham when he when when he was ordered to slaughter his son uh Ismail and he and he did not do so and he had to sacrifice the lamb, all these different types of uh arguments they will bring. So they say that Asa, Jesus is they that's why they call him a sacrificial lamb, you see. Now, the way we counter the argument is we say, yes, we agree that Allah, tabarak wa ta'ala, and heaven and the angels and so on, that this is a state of perfection. And yes, we agree that where we are is a state of imperfection. However, divine transcendence does not require a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. All it requires is forgiveness on the part of the one who's perfect, towards the one who's imperfect. Very simple. That if two individuals, or I just give an example, two individuals have an agreement, right, that you're going to serve this individual, that's our agreement, that you're going to serve me. If you violate the agreement, in order this destroys our agreement, so in order to fix our agreement, all is necessary is the one who was violated to forgive the person who violated. And this is basically simple Islamic ideology, forgiveness. And we say that the forgiveness was what? Allah Ta'ala, the Christians, they will say that God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. We say la. What happened is, is that Allah Ta'ala sent a messenger as a mercy into the world, okay? The world is imperfect, imperfect, God is perfect. So what God did was he simply extended a certain amount of mercy to the world. And he did that by sending a prophet who is the physical embodiment of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah ta'ala describes the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as ar-ra'ufur rahim. He's ar-ra'ufur rahim. Right? He's one who is compassionate and he understands humanity. And he's a rahim he's, he's merciful. Allah described the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with these terms. And he says that he sent him as what? Al-Rahmat al-Alameen. As a mercy to the world. This is Islamic theology. Islam is nothing other than God sending, a extending a certain amount of mercy into the world. That's all it is. So this is a very simple message. And what you do is you allow them to decide what makes more sense. Does the creator of the heavens and the earth have to sacrifice something? Or is it necessary for them to just uh, sin or extend a level of mercy? Which makes more sense? Which is more sensible? Which sounds more godly? Is that you require someone to do a blood sacrifice? Or that you just simply are merciful? You let them decide. When we deal with Christians, Jews, etc., we have to understand that it is very important 
that we practice good character with them. And character is something I just want to spend a few minutes talking about. Because, brothers and sisters, good character is not something that you turn on and off like a light switch. This is not Denzel Washington, where he can be Malcolm X. He can be Malcolm X when the camera is on and be this great sage. It's not Anthony Quinn, where he can play Hamza, the uncle of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then in another uh, TV series, he plays Zeus, you know, the, 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 the lowercase god of, of, of thunder you know, or something like this. No. When we talk about good character, we talk about something that describes the being of a person, that you really are a person of good character, the good character that is accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the good character that is indicative or a true true representation of the character of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the type of character that will actually help to change the condition of the people of the world is something that has to be real, has to be sincere. Allah tabaraka wa taala, He says in the Quran, "A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ حُنَفَاءَ وَيُقِيمُوا الصَّلَاءَ وَيُتُّوا الزَّكَاءَ وَذَلِكَ دِينُ الْقَيِّمَةِ Allah Ta'ala says, And we commanded you to do Nothing other than, and you were commanded to do nothing other than, to worship Allah with sincerity. Being sincere in the deen. Establishing the salah and giving the poor due. And um, he said... Uh, and this is the true upright deen. This is the true upright religion. That's it. But it's مُخْلِصِينَ لَهُ الدِّينَ It's not just salah. It's not, no, it's being sincere. Because there's something about sincerity that Allah Ta'ala made, Allah Ta'ala created sincerity in a way that it is um, wired or it is like sure to always manifest itself whether or not it is real or not. That's just the way, the way this dunya is set up, is it is going to ultimately show that you're sincere or not. It's just the way it is. Uh, we know this because for a number of reasons. The first reason I'm going to cite is we, we, we live in a world. We deal with people. It's easy to cite a person who's insincere. 
ultimately. I mean, you know, a person can put wool over their eyes for a little while, but how long does it really last? And how long can an insincere person really keep it up in, in reality? Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala says what? A'udhu billahi min shaitan rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. After saying Alif Lam Mim, he says, Zali, he says, Ahasiba nasu ayyuturaku ayyakulu amanna wa hum la yuftanu. وَلَقَدْ فَتَنَّ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ فَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا وَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ الْكَاذِبِينَ أَمْ حَسِبَ الَّذِينَ يَعْمَلُونَ السَّيِّئَاتِ أَنْ يَسْبِقُونَ سَاءَ مَا يَحْكُمُونَ مَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُو لِقَاءَ اللَّهِ فَإِنَّ أَجَلَ اللَّهِ لَآتِ وهو السميع العليم ومن جاهد فإنما يجاهد لنفسي إن الله لا غني عن العالمين. الله تعالى says talking about humanity he says does man think that they will be left alone saying they believe and not be tested. So listen very closely. Do you think you'll be left alone saying you believe? taking your shahada, walking around, the thobon, the kufi, the beard, looking all handsome for the sisters, walking around the niqab on, the khimar, the hijab, the overgarment, and your new fresh bag and everything, going to the masjid, and all these different things, claiming to believe in Allah. Do you think that you, Allah, after this, that you'll be left alone? And not be tested. Allah Ta'ala says, Indeed, we tested those who came before you in order to determine who is sincere and who is faking. These are those who are sincere. These are the real ones. What can be been? These are the liars. These are the fakers. Allah Ta'ala says, do those who, this is what he says, do those who perform evil deeds, those who are set on evil deeds, believe that they're getting over? Yes, do they believe they're getting over? He says, oh, how evil they think. Think about what Allah Ta'ala is saying, brothers and sisters. He says, he explains that the test, which is fitna, fatana, that it is it serves the purpose of separating the sincere from the fakers. And I explained, we already explained, that the way in which this world is set up is that that's what it's designed to do. The world is designed to do that. This world is not designed to be the place where you find happiness. You can find contentment, but it's not the place where, you do, where you'll find happiness. This is not the purpose of this world. Just think about it. Would death exist if this was the place of happiness? Would death exist? Would old age exist? 
would weakness exist? Would sickness exist? Would little children dying, getting hit by cars and running over by trolleys, and these types of things exist? And this was the place where people were to find happiness? No, this is merely a, a testing place. Allah Ta'ala says, Allah Ta'ala, he said, he says he created death and he created life in order to see which of you will be best in conduct and deeds. This is the purpose of it. Why life is here, why death is here. To see who will be best in conduct. This is a training, this is a testing ground, a training ground. This is a place where it, it's all on display. Everything that's inside comes out. Who you are comes out. This is what it's here for. This is why all the tests are here. And tests come in a variety of ways. Every, this is the first thing we need to understand. Every single thing here is a test. It's a test. Poverty is a test, which most of us can attest to. Poverty is a flat-out test. But so is wealth. The wealthy person, alhamdulillah, you're getting, you're able to eat what you want to eat every day. You're able to drink how you want to drink every day. You're able to travel the earth in relative luxury how you want to travel. All of these different things. You don't, those things aren't a test for you. However, the test for you is to see whether or not you give a darn about the poor person that's down the street or that's across the, or that's across the other side of town. I used to work in Lower Marion. Lower Marion, for those who don't know, is one of the richest towns in all of the United States which automatically makes it one of the richest places in the world. Okay, wallahi, they say that Lower Marion is like Beverly Hills. Okay? You know where Lower Marion is? It's right where Villanova is. Not far at all. It's barely 10 miles from 69th Street. Barely 10 miles. They have houses over there that are 30, they have $30 million houses. And I've seen it with my own. They have all of that. Super stars live over there. M. Night Shyamalan, the, the movie director, the, the director lives there. Most of the people you see on Channel 10 News, the, the weather ladies and so on, the, the Sheena Parveen's and the Kathy Orr's and, and all of them, they live over there. I've seen I've seen them, so I, I know that. But the point is, they live not 10 or 15 miles away from us, but they're living a completely different reality. And we think everything is all good for them. But the reality is, is that they're being tested just like you're being tested, just like I'm being tested. But their test is just different. It's not worse. It isn't better. It's just different. That Allah Ta'ala gives them millions of dollars, some of them making $3 million a year, some of them making $10 million a year. The one who owns the King of Prussia Mall, the, 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 the biggest CEO over there, he has one of the greatest houses I've ever seen in my life, right over there. Okay, and his test is: Does he care about, you know, the homeless person who's not even twenty miles away from him down in Center City? That's his test. 
Does he do anything about that? Does he even care? Does he even think about this this person? Does he even think about like and and I used to uh, collect that trash, you know, as, as a refuse uh, uh, trash collect, you know, a uh, trash man. I used to go collect that trash, and I mean these people will be throwing out whole cakes. Okay, they they buy a cake for a big birthday party. I'm and I'm not lying to you. They have a big cake. Cake is almost two three feet long and all these types of things. And maybe they they will lie two slices. They might cut out of the cake and the rest is in the trash. I come and there there there's the whole cake, right? Look like maybe they ate two slices. Okay, I've seen whole pizza boxes. You know, five pizzas, the whole, all the pizzas in there, thrown in the trash like it's nothing. Okay, and I've seen way more than that, but the point is, you know, do they understand how they're living, and do they even consider that there are people starving? There's people outside tonight right now in the cold weather or experiencing the cold blue, don't even have blankets, can't even go to a shelter. And then there's others living in $30, $30 million homes. Okay, so this is the nature of this dunya, that it's all a test. And... Allah Ta'ala says, do those who do evil believe that they are getting over? And this is the thing. The majority of the people who are engaged in the evil in the world, they believe that they're getting over. They believe that it's, many of them believe that it's stupid to believe in God. Like, why would you do that? You know, what is that doing for you? How is that giving you any power? Now, they they might respect, you know, a preacher who uses, like, preaching about religion insincerely to, uh, you know, get money from the masses and all of that. They might respect that because they see, okay, now they see the incentive. Okay, you're doing that in order to control people. Yeah, now they get that. But many of them, now I'm not going to name people, you know, but many of the rich families in the world. Some of them running for president now and so on. You know, they don't understand. They can't understand a person choosing to live, you know, in poverty or choosing to live uh, in a state where he doesn't need all this dunya. They can't even begin to understand that. And many of them are engaged in all kinds of atrocious activities. Like, for example, uh, you know, one rich family, the Rockefellers, they, uh, you know, they, they create these organizations like the um, the World Health Organizations and and different <clears throat> think, think tanks like that who sit back and they look at the population of the world and they see, they, they figure like this, okay, there's 6 billion people in the world and they're sitting around concerned with things like overpopulation. They're concerned that if the world becomes overpopulated, that we won't have enough resources to feed everyone. Very stupid, right? They look at the fact that there's babies constantly being born, right? So they figure, they look at the the, the, the number of people dying and the number of people being born, and they figure, hold up, there's too many people dying there's too many people being born, not enough people dying. This is real. They really do look at these things. You can go to YouTube right now, and you can look up David Rockefeller, and you see a speech he gave to a world organization in South America where he's talking about this. He believes that this is a problem, okay? And uh, 
so they'll do different things. Like uh, that's why you'll see some vaccines come out every not vaccines, uh, diseases come out everywhere. Ebola and SARS and uh, these different diseases will come up because they feel they had to knock off some, you know, the population, right? But but the point is, these are the types of people. But a lot of mentions because those who um, who do evil, do they believe they're getting over? And many of many times they do. Allah describes them in the Quran as being people who uh, say, you know, shall I believe like the foolish believe? Like they believe the believers are foolish. Right? In Surah Baqarah, Allah talks about this is the mentality many of them have. But then Allah Ta'ala says, do they not think that when, when they'll be returned, they're going to return to Allah? He said, and, and the meeting with Allah is established. This is definitely going to happen. All right? So a lot of times basically saying those real, really powerful people, you leave, leave, leave them to him. Don't worry about them. Then a lot of times says, That whoever strives, he strives for himself. Because Allah Ta'ala is not in need of anything in the world or anyone in the world. All right, so these are very, very important principles that we take. But the sincerity is extremely, extremely essential and important because it is something that without it, you will get absolutely no credit for anything that you do. If you don't have sincerity, there is no credit for anything that you do. The scholars of fiqh, those who who give rulings to actions, they say that for every single action, the first uh, element that one needs before they perform the action is the correct intention. And they get this from what the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said. He said, إِنَّمَا أَعْمَالُوا بِالنِّيَّةِ وَإِنَّمَا لِكُلِمْ رِيَنْ مَا نَوَى He said that every action is based on the intention, and everyone will be rewarded based from what he intended. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said, and ad-deenat nasiha, that the deen is sincerity, it is sincere advice, right? It is being pure, it is being sincere. This is what this deen is about at the end of the day. This is what the whole matter boils down to, because without sincerity, there is no credit for anything that we do. There is no real relationship with Allah. There is no real being being practiced, and Allah does not accept a type of worship of Islam, a type of worship, no matter how many how many hours you're standing, no matter how much um, perfect your bending is, no matter how perfect your prostrating is, no matter how perfect your recitation is. If there is no sincerity there, if it's not being done for Allah. Wallahi, there's people, we've heard stories of people pray 20 years at the masjid will get no credit for it because they were praying in order to gain a reputation of being someone who prays at the masjid or he's praying to be seen. Allah says, go to those. Woe to those worshipers, those who pray to be seen of men. This is serious. So, when we become new Muslims, one of the things we want to do is constantly check ourselves to see that what we are doing is something that is being done with the proper intention that is really being done 
for Allah because why waste your time if it's not? Allah knows. There is no fooling him. He knows you better than you know you. He knows you better than you know you. He knows when you're going to die. He knows what's going to happen with you tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen with you tonight. <coughs> we don't even know these things. There's no fooling him. You're worshiping Allah. Just understand who you're worshiping. One of his perfect knowledge, perfect understanding, perfect sight, perfect hearing, everything. Perfect. There's no escape. There is no escape. There is no refuge from Allah except to him. That's it. Going going headlong to his mercy. So this is what we might as well do. Stop playing the game. Stop being foolish. Just submit, which is what Islam is. <clears throat> it's just submitting. Coming to the realization of, hey, <laughs> look, who are you dealing with? Allah who tabarraka huwa ta'ala. Let's be for real. This is Allah. Like, there literally is no other way about it. The Muslim throws his hands up, he submits. You got it. You got it. And he does what does what he's supposed to do, what he's commanded to do. And trust me, when we're sincere, like, Everything else is just so much easier. Appeared to be hard in the beginning, but all of that is to help wipe away all of the other little specks of insincerity that exist and to impure. And once that happens, then we see the fruits of it. You know, this is when his life ceases to be a problem because we're living the way we're supposed to live. You're living for the reason we're supposed to live, which is to sincerely serve the one who created us. And what better way is that? What better way is that? Is to serve the one who created us out of sincerity, out of gratitude. Other than that, wallahi, we're wasting our time. If we want to be slick, we want to find some little way around it, we're doing this for a, a, a person or doing this for people, you're wasting your time. Wasting your time. You lose in this world, and you lose in the next. Or if you win in this one, you're definitely losing in the next. And Allah Taala knows best. Um, that's pretty much all I wanted to present on that. And inshallah, uh, you know, I really would like a discussion. Inshallah, if we have, you know, any any want to call up, something to say, say the hawk, um, you know, would you, would you have to add? Etc. No, we can go to the line. That that'd be that'd be cool. Anyone have a question, comment? You get the number one on your phone. Um, we'll come to you. Uh, also, if you have a question or comment. For the uh, for the brother, he's the number one on your phone. I'm pretty sure there's you know a few people out there with questions, you know things that you'd like to add or you know disagree with, you know. But right now, she like nobody have any uh any any questions like usual. Well, inshallah. So remember, whoever is listening, that could be a mm-hmm. um, 
a good topic. How do a person acquire sincerity if they don't have it? What's the starting point for that? Uh, well, really, I mean, the only thing I can say, like, if they don't have it, which is kind of difficult to imagine, but let's say in the case where a person doesn't have it and they recognize they're not sincere, first thing they want to do is make make Toba for that. Because to be insincere is, that's a sin. It's just a bad state and a, and a sin to be. So the first thing is to return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that, that, and that is a process of merely going and making, you know, salah, uh, two raka'ats, uh, and earnestly asking Allah to forgive you for the insincerity that you may have had, uh, and then sincerely asking him to guide you. This is the first thing. Because that's where it'll happen. Like, just beg for it. Allah will definitely give you things like that because these are the things He wants us to have anyway. So, there's no doubt about that. That will be answered as you ask Allah for sincerity. And ways to increase sincerity is to engage in what is known as dhikr. Dhikr is the remembrance of Allah wa ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala says and Allah Ta'ala also says uh, so Allah Ta'ala says that the remembrance benefits the, the believer the benefits the one who's being reminded when you engage in dhikr, like, like for example, when you remind your brothers and you remind your sisters about Allah, this benefits them. If they believe, you're reminding them of Allah, their obligations, it benefits them. Now, what dhikr does, uh, and we mean by this type of dhikr we mean, it is to invoke the name of Allah on your lips, saying it to yourself, whether it is in the form of alhamdulillah, Reminding or stating praise for Allah, praise for Allah, subhanAllah, all glory is for Allah, Allahu Akbar, Allah is the greatest, or saying the name Allah, Allah, just reminding yourself. Right? Because what you're doing here is that you're not reminding someone else, but you're reminding yourself. The greatest thing you could do for you is to remind you. And that's what Zikr does. You remind yourself. All right? So that's one thing. And then the other thing that you want to do is you want to read as much Quran as you can. And let's be realistic here. If you're a person who is not engaged in reading a lot of Quran, some of us haven't picked up the Quran within the last week. Some of us haven't picked up the Quran within the last month. Unfortunately, some of us may have picked up the Quran only two or three times within the last year. All right? You want to change that right away. And you want to have a regular amount of Quran that you read every single day. Every single day. Pick something small. All right? First, start off with uh, a hizb of Quran. A hizb is basically about a page and a half. Or read two pages. Okay? 
it's it's usually in the Arabic is a page and a half. In the English translation, it may be a hez is basically one eighth of a Jews. All right, for those who don't know what a Jews is, a Jews is one third. It's the Quran divided into thirties. So one thirtieth of the Quran is a Jews. So, for example, the first Jews of Quran starts with Al-Fatiha, you know, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, all the way up to Surah Baqarah, I had 142, right? That's the first Jews of Quran. So, if you were to start, you would read uh, starting from Al-Fatiha up to one-eighth of that. I'm not sure what the first Hizb is, but it's somewhere uh, around Surah Al-Baqarah, maybe verse 15 or something like that, right? would be like the first Hizb, which is the first uh, one-eighth of the first Jews. I start with that. If that is too much for you to do every single day, then do one page of Quran every single day. Just read one page. Every day, one page. Every day, one page. Don't even do more than that. Until you're comfortable with doing that one page is easy for you. Then bump it up to two pages. Two pages every day. Is two pages every day. Two pages of Quran. I don't care what you do. Make sure you read those two pages every day. Two pages every day. Two pages every day. Two pages. Then once two pages become easy and become nothing, get it up to three pages every day. Three pages every day. Three pages. So eventually, you get up to every day uh, half a juice of Quran. All right. You want to make this regularly a part of your life. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. Well, like this is being. Constantly reminded about what Allah is saying to you. Constantly. So the first thing, you remind yourself, and you constantly allow Allah to remind you. These are the first two things that must be done. Now, the one thing about sincerity, though, is that I don't know that you can give it to yourself if you don't have just an inkling of it. But what you can do is you can increase your sincerity by doing these things. But the first thing that has to start with you and I, you got to be firm and you have to have a firm determination and a firm discipline that you're going to do this. Without that, there is nothing I can say, nothing to say, well, I can say nothing anyone can say to you to change the condition. You have to have a first, a sincere conviction that you're going to do this. Nobody can give that to you. Just like you're sincerely firm, firm conviction that you're going to go to the club every week. And that same way you have to have a sincere conviction that you're going to do this, that you're going to read that page, you're going to read the two pages, whatever, whatever it is that you're going to do regularly, you, you have to do it without fail. You have to do it without fail. Same thing with the dicker. What I would suggest is that after your, your prayer, you got to pray. There's no hope if you're not praying. There is no hope if you're not praying. If you don't have enough discipline to do the prayer, I don't really know what to say. You're just left to Allah. Because that's the minimal amount of discipline you need. The minimal amount of discipline you need to do your prayer and then do the zikr after the prayer. The zikrs that were prescribed by the Prophet. Everyone knows that the Prophet, after his five prayers, he would do it 33 times. Subhanallah, 33 times. Alhamdulillah, 33 times. Allah Akbar. Do that. Make sure you do it without fail. 
it is guaranteed if you make your salah, if you do this dhikr, if you read a regular portion of Quran every single day without a doubt, you will gain sincerity. There is no doubt about this. But it all starts with us at first. There is no, um, you see, there is no succeeding in the dunya without struggle. Impossible. It can't be done. Even the people that Allah loves, even the people that Allah grants his fawbila, people he give prophethood to, people he give wilaya to, that he takes his friends, them struggle. Prophets struggle more than anyone. Think about the prophet Yunus inside of a whale. Think about the prophet Muhammad, وسلم, what he went through. Think about the Asa went through with the Romans. Think about what Musa went through, dealing with the Bani Israel, dealing with Fir'aun. Allah Ta'ala created this dunya in such a way that there is no way about it except for that struggle. Whether that struggle is against the non-Muslims on the battlefield or whether it is within yourself to make yourself get up out of the bed in the morning to pray. There is no way without that. And the, the first thing you have to accept that. There's going to be some of that. This is the dunya. This ain't paradise. It ain't, it ain't no place where it's just going to be easy. This is the dunya. It's what it is. You got to scrap for everything. You got to get up to, 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 to preserve your life. Just think about that. We have to eat every single day. We have to drink every single day. That's what we have to do in order to just continue to live. Like we don't think about that because we're in America and it's easy, you know, we're not from a land where you got to walk six miles to go to a well to bring back a bucket of water for your family that's going to that's gonna last you, you know, a, a day or two. You know, we turn on the faucet, so we were a little deceived by the reality of life. But think about that. You have to eat and you have to drink every single day just, just to continue living. So we, we go and we find a way to get that done. Think about that. How many of us actually want a whole day without eating? Never. Right there. Allah, I mean, it's amazing. You really think about it. So that's the life, though. There has to be a certain degree of struggle that you're dedicated to doing. Other than that, there really, really is no chance that I can see that Allah Ta'ala knows best. I know that was a ridiculous so, answer, but Marshall. Is there, a, uh, is there a test that a person can see that a lesson? Because, you know, a lot of people on the day of judgment when they stand before law, you know, reciting Quran and teaching and fighting jihad, that they was doing it for law, but they was doing it for particular purposes. You know, is it a test that a person can say, all right, if, if I'm doing it for law? Because I remember reading that something like sadaqa, like if you give sadaqa secretly, it's like seventy times more to reward than if you give it openly, so you can let you know, let let yourself know that this is sincere for Allah, and not just to be seen. Um, well, yeah, uh, that, that, that's true. Like uh, doing it secretly, um, you generally shows that you, you know, it's impossible for people to know what you're doing. So that way, it kind of indicates to yourself that you're not doing it for people. So those things are good, but. Really, the way the way generally is done. I mean, just just remind yourself. Don't be afraid to talk to yourself. 
you know, like this society teaches us that talking to yourself is crazy, but in Islam, you know, talking to yourself isn't crazy. Something that the companions did, you know, the companions of the prophets, some of them did. I mean, you know, of course you don't answer yourself back, hey, I need, you know, you don't talk to yourself in third person, but you remind yourself. Like when your heart is inclining towards doing something evil or something unnecessary, you know, you tell your heart, say, oh, heart, you know, you know, calm down, you know, be quiet, fear Allah. You know, you tell yourself that. You remind yourself that it benefits yourself. Uh, but generally what you do is, uh, just to, to simplify it, I mean, there is a deep answer, but to simplify it, you'll uh, make your intention. Again, like before you do an action, you can make a habit of saying a dua before that, or you can make the intention. I intend to give this for Allah. And that, that's enough. Really, it is. You know, you just tell yourself, meaning you got to say it audibly, you can say it to yourself, I'm giving this money for Allah. Or I'm making this prayer. You know, that's enough. Um, the, the At the deeper level, uh, you begin to do what is known as muraqaba. Uh, okay? And muraqaba is to watch over yourself, watch over your actions. First thing you do is you watch over your actions, all right? You start paying attention to what have I done today? Have I done any good deeds? Have I done any bad deeds? All right, if I've done any good deeds, you look over your day, the good deeds you've done. Generally, what you want to do is forget about good deeds you've done. But if you're not able to do that, whenever you think of a good deed you've done today, say, alhamdulillah, oh, man, I thank Allah for giving me that deed, right? Because ultimately our actions are created by Allah. And then we think about the bad deeds we may have done that day, and we say, Astaghfirullah, that's a lot of forgiveness. This is Muraqaba, you do it at the end of the day, or you can do this at the end of the week, whatever time you sit back and you contemplate over your actions. Deeper than that is you do the Muraqaba of the the heart. You start looking into the heart and the intentions. All right? And then there's different levels at which you do it. <clears throat> you can do it. All right? It's important to understand every single action that you did, once you start getting to the science of action, every single action starts with something that's known as a khatar, a khatar, all right, which is a passing thought, a notion or a passing thought that comes to your mind. The first thing you have to know about passing thoughts is that they're not you. They're not you, they're not I. We are what? Our ruh, which exists inside of our hearts, right? Our ruh, which was breathed into us from by the angel, when the Prophet said, He blew the angel, blew the spirit into us, right? That's us. The passing thought is not you, but it is something that is constant with us every day. And it is the first step to every action. First, every action starts with a passing thought, all right? After the khatar, the passing thought, is the uh, inclination towards that thing, Right? First is the passing thought, then is the inclination towards that thing. After the inclination towards that thing, then there is the intention to do that thing. After the intention to do that thing is the firm resolution upon doing it. It's called al-azma, uzul al-azma. Then after that, you perform the action, whether it's good or bad. Every action goes through these stages. First is the passing thought, then is the inclination, then there's 
the intention, then there's the firm resolution, then there's the action. All right? The role that Morakabal plays is this. The skilled person, either the more skilled a person, the earlier they're able to catch their thoughts. Okay? So in other words, the minimal that you have to do is that before you perform an action, you have to remember, remind yourself, a stock for the law, and then don't do it. That's the minimal. The one who's greater than that, what he does is he stops it before it becomes a firm resolution. All right, so you what you do is in order to stop it from becoming a firm resolution is you always renew your intention. If your intention is pure, it will never become a firm resolution to commit a, to commit a sin. All right, yeah, the level of intention you're going to say, okay, all right, I'm, 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 my eyes are for for Allah and for reading Quran and for looking at Jannah. This is why my eye was created, and my eye was created for uh, looking and gazing upon Allah the Day of Judgment. Remind yourself of these types of things so that way you don't look at that haram thing that's running down the street in the tight pants, right? So that's the one way you stop it from becoming a firm resolution. And the one who's even more skilled than this, he'll stop it before his heart begins to incline towards it. The way you stop before your heart begins to incline towards it, you remind yourself of Allah before then. And the one who's even more skilled than this, he's able to track his thought. He tracks it as when it's at the level of a passing thought. Then he, at that moment, he relies, he, he reminds himself of Allah. He just says, or he says, I will be like me, shaitan al-rajim. It's generally what he'll do. Because many of the passing thoughts come from shaitan. So, the real skilled person in the, the science of, of action and the spiritual path, what he does is when the passing thought comes to him, he reminds himself of Allah. Or he says, it's stuck for the law of thee, or whatever. So that way, so as to that, passing thought never becomes an inclination. The inclination never becomes an intention. The intention never becomes a firm resolution. firm resolution never becomes an action. And I just hope that helps. MashaAllah. That was good. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Now, so I mean, in the future, in the future, we as we could deal with that in more in depth, but that that's a whole other science in itself. Wow. Now, I'm gonna um, try to ask questions that I think that the audience will, 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 will want to ask. MashaAllah. Is there any books that you recommend? You know what I mean? That uh, new shahadas or Muslims been Muslim for a while, you know, to read, to get a good understanding of, of the topics that we're talking about tonight, inshallah? Uh, well, just generally what I, what I what I think new shahadas should get, and besides, after the Quran, they should get books of Sirah, books dealing with the stories, uh, dealing with the life of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa The series I recommend right now are... Um, <clears throat> hmm. Hmm. If I can get a copy of Ibn Hisham's Sirah, that that's that's good. Uh, even sealed nectar is fine. You know, I don't think it's really necessarily the best read there is, but sealed nectar is fine. They they should first be uh, becoming as knowledgeable about the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and early Islam during his time as they can. That's the first thing I really recommend. 
is books of Sirah. Um, books of Hadith I don't recommend unless they're with explanations. But books of Sirah, read, read the Quran as much as you can. Read books of Sirah. That's that's what I would uh that's what I would recommend right away, um, because in in the life of the prophet you see everything as far as the sincerity, uh the spiritual path everything it just really is, is you'll see in his life like there is no greater uh examples of sincerity than reading about him and reading about another book I would recommend Hayat uh, Sahaba I said that's good because there's no greater uh examples of sincerity and you'll find people like Abu Bakr and Omar and Ali and I'm sure you could you would agree with that as well. When we start reading about these types of men, this is where you get to see how a Muslim should be. You know. Uh especially when we live in an age right now where people are calling to question these men and you know, the ridiculous things like that. You know, most of us grew up as Sunnis we grew up learning to love these men and admire these men. And like we were just amazed with them. And uh, a lot of that has to be uh, kept intact and and should be, you know, repeated as much as possible. But get a good book on the biography of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, uh, Martin Ling's. That one is pretty good. Um, you know, uh, any, any of these types of books. No. Yeah. So when you start getting into some of the other books dealing with just sincerity and stuff like that, I mean, you can get a little in-depth and all that. I, I like more practical examples, like just stories that, that show sincerity more than the definition of sincerity is this and all of that. That's not, you know, as helpful in my opinion. Hello? Hello? My, my phone had dropped off for a minute there. Oh, okay. But now, nah. nah, so as a new Shahada when you were younger, what is one of the most important lessons that you had to learn that you wish you can tell someone now not to make those same mistakes? Inshallah. Wow. Uh, well, my mistake I learned that I was you shouldn't be so fanatical about things because later on in life you learn that you may be completely wrong and, mm. and like change your mind on that particular issue. Mm. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's a good question. Uh. I mean, I, I was very uh, fanatical, I think. Um, but one thing I would say is, like, uh, seek out the, the the right scholars. I mean, really. Um, and that, that's, like, that, that's scary because there's a lot of people out here where people run around saying, I'm scholars and I'm ulama, and, man, you, you, you shouldn't trust them with someone else's life. 
Like, really, it, it's like it, it's bad. It's like, what I would recommend is you stick with those people uh, with traditional normative Sunni Islam from the, 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 the major universities in Islam, like Al-Azhar University, anything that's coming from them or anything that might be written by someone that has been checked by them. Um, stick with um, uh, you know, anything coming out of Qadawiyin University, stuff like that. Stay away from things coming out of Medina University. Uh, you know, it may sound like it should be correct because it's Medina. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, also, um, listen to things. Check things out, you know, before, like, establishing a whole opinion on it. Don't Don't go off of, like, what every single Tom, Dick, and Harry is saying and trying to push you this way. And definitely stay away from any kind of place, any type of messages, any type of classes, any type of speakers to tell you to only listen to him and his people and don't listen to anyone else. You know, they want to tell you what to read, what not to read, who to listen to, who not to listen to. You know, oftentimes that's a bad sign. Um, you know, to, <laughs> that when it comes to your brothers and sisters, uh, allow your your opinion of them to be based off your personal experience with them, not what someone else is saying. Because on the day of judgment, you know you you'll be like and that person have a right over you, and that you you know you deal with them unjustly. You know, um, you you you're walking around here not liking your brother and sister, and they didn't do anything to you. You know that's unjust. So you don't want to be in in that type of situation. Um, and uh, well. I guess that's pretty much it right now. No. One thing that I, I, I um, learned with dealing with people of knowledge is that very, very, very uh, uh, seldom you find them to be fanatical, you know. Like when you usually yeah. talk to a person of knowledge, they always give you both sides of the story or both opinions, and they say, well, this is the opinion I follow because of this. They don't. Yeah. They're not going to just tell you one side of the story, and that's it. They will always give you both sides of the spectrum. Like if this is different mm. agreement on the issue, they will say, "Well, you know, the the, the Jim Hoare, the majority of the scholars say this, or you know, if you left on this issue, then they will say what they feel, and let you right. basically decide what you what you want to do, instead of just telling you, you know, halal haram, because you know a lot of the issues are in the gray area, so they have the knowledge to tell you." From both spectrums, mm-hmm. you know that's that's one thing I, I I have learned for real scholars. Yeah, you know, I mean I, I learned that real scholars don't have classes dedicated just to tell you to stay away from certain individuals. I, mm-hmm. I've rarely seen scholars do that. Rarely. True. It would tell you to be a brother to your brother and to forgive the faults of others. You know, anyone who tried to divide this woman is a shaitan. I mean, that's, that's a fact. Scholars don't divide the woman; They bring them together. No. I, I learned that new shahadas are very impressionable. You know, and um, they take the the word of the iman as law, and it's not law. You know, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. You know, that's how you get to 
you know, understanding. Because if you just follow orders without asking questions, you can find yourself in a world of trouble. No one is above being questioned in a respectful manner. You know, in the Quran, it shows you that Allah said Allah was questioned by the angels when he was going to create mankind. Allah just didn't destroy the angels. He answered their question. You know, so if a person don't want to be questioned about what he's saying, then that's a person who's not sure about what he believes in or what he's telling you. You know, for instance, if, if a person tells you don't go to that masjid, ask them why. Why not to go to that masjid? What are they doing that's, you know, that I should stay away from? So if I see it, then I, I will recognize it. Because don't go to that masjid because they're not on it. That's not sufficient evidence to stay away from your brother. It is not. Okay, I'm on the line. 215 You kind of answered the uh, the question already. The question was, um, well, the first question was regarding um, your place of worship. Like, how can you determine um, if you're getting the correct uh teachings, I'll say, um, uh, Islam. So you kind of answered that. And the other question was, how do you go about um, teaching, you know, your children? Like, what is the first step towards teaching your children about Islam? Now, the, the second question that you asked your children, and how do you, you know, go about basically keeping them on the correct path, that's, that's the... Uh, the question that you have, right? Yes. That right there is required of being a, a serious parent because there's going to be some sacrifices that that's involved with that. That at the end of the day, people want to make you feel like you're the bad guy, right? Like I give you, I give you an example. There are children on the, in the neighborhood that we don't want our children playing with because these children, you know, their parents don't mind them cursing or their parents doesn't doesn't mind their behavior, okay? As a parent that has some regard for this for your child, you have to keep your child away from certain children because their parents, not because of those children, because of their parents allow everything under the sun because if your children hang with them, they're going to come home and they're going to be, Cussing, and they're gonna have certain characteristics that's that's uh, their friends because that's who they hang around. The prophet so let's tell them say, be careful who you befriend because your 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 religion is a mirror image of your closest companion. So therefore, when you become a parent, you say, well, I don't want my kids hanging with them kids because their parents allow them to do everything. People say, well, you think your kids? No, because you're raising them properly. You see trouble. Just like you an adult, you don't hang with certain people because you you're not part of that. You don't be you don't hang with weed smokers or alcoholics because that's not what you went to. You went to reading books and you went to practice Islam, so you hang with Muslims. That's about that. So your your children is, is the same way. You send them with children more of their own uh, quality that you want them to learn. That's that's number one. And number two, you have to be on your child. About learning about Islam, 
do what's going on. Well, just like your mom was doing you by eating vegetables. But now, as you older, you have to be on your child about learning this man just like your mother was on you about vegetables. And your mother used to whip you if you didn't eat some vegetables. You can't eat certain you can't eat certain foods like the dessert because you didn't eat the the, uh, the carrots on the side of the plate. You have to be on your child about that. Listen, if you want this allowance, you have to start memorizing the Afatiha. Show me that you're increasing your memorization of it. What did you learn about the Prophet Muhammad today? About that, just like you own them about doing their homework so they can be academically good in school, you have to be on them about learning Islam. If you do not, they're not going to learn the thing. If my mom didn't force me to eat vegetables when I was young, I, didn't, I wouldn't eat them. Like, why? Why would I eat beets? They're trifling. Why would I eat carrots? If my mother didn't force me to eat that, if she didn't force me to eat llama beans, I wouldn't eat it. Black eyed peas, none of that. Those food, I wouldn't eat it if my mother didn't make me eat it. And she wasn't a bad person because she 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 made me eat it because it was it was different vitamins and minerals that I would receive from that. So as parents, if you don't be on your child about the the priorities of learning the Dean of Islam, about learning about the Messenger of Allah so that's them, then you're going to be regretful that on the day of judgment, or you're going to be regretting that when you're in your grave. And your child can make du'a to Allah to help your grave become a place of paradise. Because the du'a that Allah answered, he answered the du'a for the mother and the father, for the son and the daughter. And he answered the du'a for the son and the daughter, for the mother and father. So if you and your grave getting punished, and your son and your daughter is a righteous Muslim because you raised them to be like that, and they raised their hands to Allah, oh Allah, allow my mother and father forgiveness. Or they can make hajj for you. You died and you didn't make hajj. Your son, I'm going to make hajj for my for my umi this year. Well, I'm going to make this extra rakat. Yeah, Allah, give the reward to my umi. Well, I'm going to give sadaqah, get a reward for my umi. Because they righteous. They're thinking about you, even in your time of death, because you produce that seed. But if you neglect Islam to give them Islam, and they get older, they're not going to have Islam. And far too often, our children know more about LeBron James and Kobe Bryant and sports, Call of Duty and Blackouts, then they know more about the, the, the Islamic realities of the world. And the Islamic realities of the world is going to teach them on how to get to paradise and how to avoid hellfire. So that is on us. Islamic school, and if that's not feasible, then you have no choice but to send them to a public school. I was a teacher in a public school for a few years, and trust me, if you only knew the conversations that these children are having in public school, I'm talking about the age of 9 and 10, what are they doing in a public school? Every day you see a video surface on, on Facebook or YouTube of little children having sex in public schools. If you want your child to be a righteous Muslimah, but she's in a public school and she's the only Muslim sister in her classroom and everybody else is kufar, how far do you think her Islam will carry her? Because you have sent her to a battle unarmed and, 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 and uninformed and, and, um, and, and without no information. 
How 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 long is that Islam on the she's not a super Muslim. He's not a super Muslim. He's in the classroom with non Muslims that half they, they dress half naked. How far do you think he's gonna get before he 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 loses his virginity? Because that's what he's around. These are the things that we have to think about. Parents move outside of the ghetto and move in white neighborhoods because they say they want to give their child a better education. But what you need to do is, is move your child from the kufar school them because they got pro programs now that you can tell them that you want to homeschool your child. They give you free internet and they give you a free computer. And all your child got to do is wake up in the morning, go on the computer, and the teacher will teach them a lesson. And you help them with their homework. It's simple as ABC. If that's what you want for your child. Because I'm telling you, public school is not no joke. The 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 the, the, the percentage of black African Americans that learn things in public school and graduate is like 15%. Now, how many Muslims in that 15 percentile do you think is going to graduate? It's extremely serious. It's not a game. So if you love your child, then we will do everything that we need to do in order to preserve their 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 uh, their purity and their good heart. And it's a shame because it starts young. It starts when when we send our children to the daycare center, to the Kufar daycare center. They're not teaching our children Islam. They're not teaching them discipline and how to become a good Muslim. They're not doing that. So if you want to teach our children, we have to start early, and we have to invest in their future. Be on them about learning how to pray. Be on them about memorizing Quran. Be on them about learning Hadith of the day. Be on them about learning about the message of Allah, and give them rewards if they learn it. Listen, you want a reward every week? Then every week I need you to learn a new Hadith. Tell me something new about the Prophet Muhammad today that you didn't learn yesterday. Learn a new word. Give them incentive to learn Islam, make it fun for them. Like when I'm around children in my family, I I, I make it fun for them. I like who wanna play a game? We wanna play a game. All right, who's gonna clean the house up the quickest? They do it, they don't know. They, they, they think they playing the game. But little do they know, you getting the house clean. So at the end of the day you get what you want. So you gotta make it fun for them. Make it fun for them. But that takes a parent who's dedicated. Like Serena Williams and, and Venus Williams, their father was dedicated to teach them tennis. And look where they at now. They become multi-millionaires because he invested time in his children to learn a particular craft. Tiger Woods' father invested in him to learn golf. What black person do you know can be the greatest golf player ever? A parent who invested in them. If you look at all the kids that's in college, who's the violent victorian of their class. I guarantee you their mother and their father had a big impact on them learning their school and didn't play no games about them doing their homework and getting things done. We have to be that with our, with our, parents, with our students and with our children. We have to be on them about that and discipline them when they slack and reward them when they, show, when they put forth the effort. Other than that, there's no magical role that you can put them on. You have to invest in it. Allah SWT told the men in the Quran, save yourself and your family from the fire which is prepared by men and stones. That's a commandment from Allah SWT to save yourself first and then save your family. Don't forget about your family. And Allahu Ayla. It is now 10 o'clock.
mashallah. Um, the next show that we will have will be tomorrow, inshallah. Please call in. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallihi wa sallam. And also, Allah bless us to return to our soul for Salat al Fajr. If not, then may Allah forgive us for our sins, our faults, and our efforts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.